Well, we are in our series, Jesus On, and each week we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount and how it applies today, and we're seeing that Jesus speaks on subjects that are important for us today, and that when you and I start to digest and start to integrate them into our lives, we find that Jesus can make life better and make us better at life. That's not an easy thing. It's a process thing. Some things are very obvious. Some things we really have to struggle through and, in a sense, rewrite the operating system of our heart. Even those of us who have said yes to Christ, there can be areas where we go, aha, I need to to engage in that. I need to work on that. I need to be sensitive to God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in my life so that I can start to see these things come into place. And as the process unfolds, we do find that Jesus does make life better. Not perfect, not complete, not heaven on earth, but he does make life better and makes us better at living and how we engage in life. If you're just joining us this morning for the first time or you've been away a little bit, you can catch up. If you're joining us on online, we'd like to thank you for listening in, uh, maybe on a CD or whatever. But just remember that uh, if you're in driving distance of the church, we'd love to have you show up on a Sunday morning. Uh, we just had some time uh, with some difference makers that are going on a trip to Honduras. And also we'll be celebrating communion together towards the end of our service. And if you're listening online or CD, you, you're getting some of it, but you're not getting that part. So we encourage you to make the drive and, and visit us. So this morning we're, we're talking about a, another fun subject. Uh, last week we talked about turning the other cheek. And this week we're talking about loving our enemies or those that are in opposition to us. And again, we're wired that when someone pushes us, when someone gives us a hard time, when someone in a sense slaps us, we want to slap them back. We want to make them pay back. So when people are in opposition to us, we we just have this. And when we see it happening in somebody else's life, the reality is that we feel pretty good. We feel pretty good to see somebody get what they deserved. And uh, even Superman had to deal with, with holding back when he was being given a hard time. And those of us watching those movies are going, oh, I can't wait until he gets it. I can't wait until he gets it. Because Superman, Superman, he doesn't know what he's dealing with. And we just enjoy that kind of payback when we see opposition. So watch this little clip. Knock it off. Sit down. Let me go. Hey, leave it alone, man. Or what, tough guy? Or gonna have to ask you to leave. I think I'll probably just leave when I'm good and ready. Oh, Oh, there he is. It's not worth it, sweetie. That makes you feel pretty good. That guy deserved it. 
He'll never be a bully again because he'll always wonder if he comes out and finds his truck with a telephone pole in it. But uh, anyway, you know, it's just kind of a natural feeling when someone's giving somebody a hard time, we want them to get theirs. But we find that uh, Jesus gives us another way. He says, do something else. Last week, again, we, we started into this subject, so you may need to catch up with that. We're not covering every facet of this, but if you'd like to open up to Matthew 5, 44, uh, in that little Bible around you, in the Rack Bible, Paper Bible, that's page 678. The verses will be up on the screen. They're also in your message guide, a lot of them. And uh, if you uh, don't have a, a Paper Bible, please take that as a gift from us. If you uh, want a Bible on your uh, phone or tablet or whatever, we suggest version is a great place to start. It's a free app. You can download that, and then wherever you go, you have God's Word with you. So Matthew 5, 44, we'll start off with, again, we talked about, I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. This might be one of the hardest, hardest of the little statements or big statements on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says. And, uh, you know, I, you know it's, it can be hard. It can be hard. It can be hard, and you and I may not uh, have outright enemies, but we have people that, that push our buttons and just kind of like to try to stick the knife in. Uh, that's one reason I'm wearing my shirt today. Uh, you know, there's pink flamingos on it, which I don't like, but there's also little Patriots emblems on it, and, and I've really conflicted today. Today's a very sad day. For me, I know some of you are very happy about that. Um, I even got a very sad video just the, the other day. Actually, last night, just a, a mean uncle sent this to me of their, their niece. The Patriots are not in the Super Bowl. Not in the Super Bowl. Good job. I Come on. Come on. I'm, I'm working on this love my enemies. I mean, the reality about the Super Bowl today is this. Who people are rooting for in the Super Bowl, very small Chiefs, very small 49ers, people just happy that the Patriots aren't in it. That's most of it. And that is, that is just a lot of hard, hard for me. You know, I have to deal with this persecution. They only hate us because they ain't us. I, you know what I mean? It looks like, you know, 2014 we win. We take a year off. 2016, take a year off. 2018, take a year. 2019. So next year we'll be back. So, um, again, you know, this is just uh, really, uh, just really terrible. But, you know, it's interesting. If you watch the commercials today, even though, the, even though New England isn't there, you'll find that New England is there. Oh, look at this guy. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hey, good. How are you? He's not getting that car in there. No, sir. Look at these two troublemakers. Hey, Johnny, how are you? Wicked car. Is that new? Yeah, it's a Sonata. Let me pack it. Oh, you're not fitting your car in there. Chris, stop being a smarty pants, all right? Look who's got Smart Pack. Smart Pack? Just hit the clicker. Car packs itself. It's smart. It's wicked smart. And I can pack it anywhere. How about Dorchester? Packed it. Foxborough. Packed it. The Garden? Packed it. Saugus? Packed it. Swampscott? Revere? The Harbor? Are you kidding me? I packed it and then unpacked it. You unpacked it? Kid. Game changer. That Sonata ain't got no driver. That's all right. He's got Smart Pack. Hey, you can pack there. He's got Smart Pack. Hey, whoa, whoa. It's Big Bob. Wicked smart. This is a ghost car. A better way to park. Oh. So every time you're watching tonight and you hear that commercial, eh, they're still there. They're still there. At least that's what I'll be thinking. 
So, as we're talking about loving your enemies, this gives you an opportunity to love your enemies, okay? All right, so love your enemies. You and I have a choice. We can either get even or have influence. And we talked about that last week. We can either get even with other people, we can bring commercials in that you know, kind of point to our cause and try to get even, or we can have influence. And so we have to decide that. And if you're a Christ follower, if you've said yes to Christ, you're hopefully coming from the persuasion you want to have influence in other people's lives. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about getting our way. It's not just about being right so others are wrong. It's about having influence in our lives. And then it really comes down to this, and we talked in depth about this last week, to refuse to allow the way you're treated to determine the way you respond. And that is wicked hard, believe me. It's wicked hard to do that, to refuse to allow the way you're treated to determine the way you respond. In just a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating communion, celebrating Christ giving his life for us, dying on the cross, a horrible death. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to remember that he rose again. He gives his life for us. And we're going to see that he refused to allow the way he was treated to determine the way he responded. I don't know about you, but I don't know when the breaking point might have come. If I was Jesus, you should be happy I'm not Jesus. I might have come off that cross in some fantastic way and turned the tables on everything. But he doesn't do that. Romans 19 and 21 says, do not insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Don't let the evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. And that is difficult. That is hard. And it takes a lot of heart change to make that the rhythm of our lives. It takes effort. It takes, it takes energy. But that's what you and I are called. If you want to get even or if you want to have influence, that's what hangs in the balance. came across this quote. When someone does something to you that you don't deserve... Do something for them that they don't deserve. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus gave his life. So when we look at this passage, these statements that Jesus makes, uh, there's four questions. Or you could come up with five or three, but there's four questions I, I want to just briefly talk about as we look at how do we wrestle with this? How do we grow in this area? How do we get better at living this way? So, so four questions. Uh, the first one is we have to ask ourselves, who is my enemy? Who's my enemy? Um, what am I, how am I supposed to, to figure that out? I mean, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
And if you go back to the Older Testament, the first part of your Bibles, you're never going to find the statement, hate your enemy. You're going to hear the statement, love your neighbor. Leviticus 19 starts to talk about those concepts. But you're not going to see hate your enemy. It kind of just got added in there. Yeah, love those who are good to you. Love the, the good people. And those who give you a hard time, those who are your enemy or who are opposed to you, you, you can hate them. And Jesus says, you've heard that said. And he's going to go on start to unpack that. And we have to ask ourselves, who are our enemies? Who are they? Because, you know, we live in a day and age that, uh, you know, some of us have had face-to-face hardcore enemies, but a lot of us haven't had, like, hardcore face enemies. So, so what do you do with that? How do you, how do you apply this? How do, you, how do you think about this? I think you start back and you think about who is the closest person to being one of my enemies. Maybe you wouldn't describe them, that person is an enemy of mine. But as you start to think about the people in your life that uh, give you a difficult time, that uh, you really don't care for, that are different from you, maybe it's their, their, their political views, uh, maybe it's uh, uh, you, you know, th- that they just are always on you, uh, maybe it's they've done some things to you, maybe they've said some things to you. You wouldn't say they're like an outright enemy, but they're close to an enemy. And you ask yourself, who, who are my enemies? And you say, that's what Jesus is starting to get at. So most likely, there's not one person in this room that can't come up with a couple names of somebody who has enemy characteristics towards you. You kind of bristle when you think of them, when you see them, when their name comes up. They're your enemy. So we have to ask ourselves, those are the people that Jesus is talking about. We may not be face-to-face in a quote-unquote war. You may not be on the battlefield and those people are enemy. But but you you and I still have those people in our lives to some degree. We also have to ask ourselves a question about that neighbor. Uh, Jesus does a, says a uh, parable, a story that's very famous because people wanted to kind of weasel out who was their neighbor. Some of us are aware of that. It's called the Good Samaritan. And it's all about Jesus saying, this is the person that is my neighbor. And basically, if you know the story or are familiar with the story, you realize that anyone that comes across your path, in a sense, to some degree, is a neighbor. And you need to respond in a neighborly way. You need to realize that you have an identity with them because they are a human being and you are a human being. And so, who's my enemy? Anyone that makes my skin crawl, maybe. Who's my neighbor? Most are my neighbors. And uh, not trying to weasel out of that. So once we ask ourselves, who is our enemy? Then we take the next natural step and we say, how should I respond to my enemy? What, What do I do about that? And Jesus says something that really rocks our world. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you. Again, we're not in a situation where someone might put pressure on us, but but I, I wouldn't say we're being persecuted share this with you every once in a while. I look at uh, what's going on in other parts of our world. In the last uh, two weeks, I don't know how the time frame of this, there was some things posted about uh, this pastor in Africa who would not deny Christ. And because he wouldn't deny Christ, his life was taken. <laughs> that, that's persecution. And that is happening. They, they actually say the percentage and the amounts of persecution is on the uprise. 6% 2019 over 2018. It's happening. It's happening. And uh, we need to be mindful of that. We need to be aware of that. We need to be not worried about it, but we need to be aware of it, concerned about it. Uh, some of the things that are going on in China and countries like that, uh, you, you, you would be very surprised. And, and it's just not here and there. It, there's a consistency to it. But for most of us, we're not being persecuted. For most of us, uh, you know, again, coming to terms with what is an enemy for us really comes down to, for us to apply this, we might say, love those who push your buttons. Love those who push your buttons. And when Jesus talks about loving here, He has basically a choice between four words. You and I, when we use the word love, we have basically one word to choose from. That's the reason you can say, you know, I love chocolate, I love coffee, I love my car, I love my tractor, I love my gun, I love my wife, I love my husband, I love my kids. But hopefully when you're talking about coffee and your wife, life's up here. You don't love those two things with the same passion, intensity, hopefully. I won't ask you to raise your hand about that. So. But we use the same word. Now, when Jesus was saying these things, there were four different words he could use. There was first a love word that was basically the idea of family love. That identity. So he could have said, you you know, love your enemies like you love your family. And he could have used that word, and and he doesn't. That's that that bond you have with your family, with your your kids, your parents, your aunts and uncles, all your your family. You you love them, your family. Uh, Then there's also that love that would be a close friend love. And uh, we meet someone, we, we find that we have a, a kindred spirit, a connection. We like doing the same thing. We have fun together. Maybe we're different personalities, but we just enjoy Jesus' company, and, and they're a close friend. We share things, and, and we have that kind of a, a love for them. Uh, then there's a word for romantic love, for passion. It's that person you go, wow, this is the person I want to be with for the rest of my life. This is the person I want to marry. And, and you have this romantic kind of love. And I'm very mindful of this right now because, as uh, some of you may know, Sarah, our oldest, got engaged last weekend. So this is her, her husband-to-be Joe and and uh, so they're experiencing romantic, mushy love and all that. Which doesn't die. Right, Cindy? Okay, all right, all right, keep going. All right, romantic love, enough said on that. And then there is unconditional love. 
little fancy Greek words, agape. You may have heard that. Sometimes you see things, agape something, and this is what they're talking about. And this unconditional love is a love that involves the will. It's more of the mind than the heart. You choose to love someone. I'm going to say a lot of times when you choose to demonstrate love for someone, the heart will catch up. Sometimes it doesn't. But you have an unconditional, you will it. And you're going to demonstrate love to them. Uh, this love involves sacrifice. Uh, often it's a one-way kind of love. Yes, ultimately I'm going to say as you give your life away, you're enriched by that, but your initial exposure and moving into this kind of unconditional love, you're not expecting something in return. The folks that are going to Honduras this week, different places, but they're, they're, they have, have an unconditional love. They, they've decided to sacrifice, to be generous, to be willed. They're, some of them don't have any connection with that area, and they're going to go there, and it's going to be hard some days. Maybe it's going to be hard all two weeks or one week, but they're choosing to love. Many of them will come back with a touched heart, but it started with this unconditional love. So when Jesus uses the word in this statement, love, he's talking about an unconditional love. Love your enemies. Love those that push your buttons. Have a love for them. Will to it. Decide to do it. Sacrifice. Again, I love that quote. When someone does something to you that you don't deserve, do something for them that they don't deserve. So we will it, and we demonstrate love, and we give some of our life, whatever that contains, away for somebody else. And it starts uh, in the head. It maybe moves to the heart, but starts in the head. Also, we're asked or told to pray for those who push your buttons. And um, th this, is, this, is, this may be difficult, but then actually demonstrating love. Uh, because sometimes, at least me, I don't know about you, I'm sure this, you don't do this. I can actually ask nice to someone and act loving to someone and, and not really like them too much. You know, I can kind of like do it because I'm supposed to do it. But when it comes to me to actually praying for someone, that takes it to a different level for me. Some of you, it may be a different level praying for them in the, in the acts of love of the hardest. But for me, to, to actually sincerely, genuinely pray for someone who's pushing my buttons uh, takes a lot of work. And eventually what happens is it's hard to hate someone that you're praying for. And I've seen this actually happen in my life. I, I would never have said I hated this person, but I can remember people that have pushed my buttons for various reasons and in all kinds of ways, and, and, and I've started to pray for them, and I've watched my heart change towards them. It's kind of a miracle that it happens. But pray for those who push your buttons. Stephen, the first uh, Christ follower to, in a sense, die for his faith that's recorded after Jesus died and rose again is found in Acts 7. It says, while they were stoning him to death, this is throwing stones at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Fell asleep is really he died. I go, how does Stephen do that? He prays, not for those who just are pushing his butt. He prays for those who are literally killing him. Where did, where did Stephen learn this? How did Stephen get to this place? I think it's because he remembered what Jesus said when he was dying on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes, basically all his possessions, by casting lots to see who would win his clothes. And Jesus says, he, he's, he's praying for them. Again, last week we talked about not being a doormat and all those kinds of things. So you need to take all of this into account when we're talking about that. Jesus was not a doormat, but he loved those that were opposed to him. Stephen caught it and loved those that were opposed to him. I think you see this in Jesus' heart. Why does Jesus love those that are opposed to him? There's a verse that talks about him wishing that he could gather uh, the people together like uh, a hen gathers her chicks. And because he sees that they're sheep without a shepherd. He realizes that hurt people hurt people. So he takes that into account. Again, that doesn't mean you allow for bad behavior. It doesn't mean you don't resist evil. We talked about that last week. But this idea to say, this is where this person may be coming from. And for Jesus, for Stephen, for countless others, this is why they could love their enemies, love those that push their buttons, and pray for those that were their enemies, those that pushed our buttons. So why should we? Why should we do this? Jesus tells us why we should respond or why I should respond with love. Verse 45 says, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, this doesn't mean that you're earning your way to God. This doesn't mean that you're doing good things, and because you're doing good things, God accepts you. You see, God loves you before you do anything good. God doesn't have a merit system, because those of us who have been around a little while realize that uh, even the good things we are doing, and we do do good things, aren't necessarily good enough to if there was a scale in heaven that had good things versus bad things. There isn't a scale in heaven. Ooh, good, I got more good things, so now I'm winning, and it goes back and forth. That's not going on because we can't be good enough. That's why Christ gives his life. That's why God loves us while we are yet opposed to him. It actually uses the word while we are yet his enemies. So why do we respond? Not to earn our way, but to reflect that we're children of God. That he is our father. That we act like our father. Some of us have those responses. We have those little expressions we say. And uh, when we were growing up, we said, I'll never say that. And all of a sudden we're saying it. We go, wait a minute. I'm my mother. I'm my father. Ah, you, you know, and uh, that reminds me of your dad. Or your mom, and they're like, you know, and so, so we reflect our parents. It's interesting. Little babies like to reflect their 
dads. Watch this. Uh, 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 If God is your heavenly father, if you haven't said yes to Christ, and since you're not obligated, you just can elbow the person next to you that have said yes to Christ and say, you need to act this way. But if you're a child of your heavenly father, then you reflect him. And again, he, off the charts, demonstrates someone who loved those who were his enemies. He gives his son. Also we read, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. This has the idea of common grace. It's a theological term. That uh, even those who are not nice, who are wicked, who are evil, the sun rises and it rises on them too. If you have a, a field and you need rain and you're a good person and there's a neighbor who's not a good person and it rains, it rains on everybody. You get the same weather. It snows on good people and bad people. I, I love snow, so I'm very, you know, snow. Common grace. And so we just have to identify with that. Good things. Love your enemies. Pray for them. If you love those who love you, what will your reward get? What will your reward? And not, even the and, even not, and not even the tax collectors doing that. In other words, they love those that love them. And tax collectors in Jesus' day were bad, bad people. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans, those who are far from God, do that. Again, loving those who love you when it's a two-way street isn't that big of a deal. But loving those who are in opposition to you is a big deal. So that's why we do it. How do we do it? It's one little line that Jesus says at first uh, unnerves me. Be perfect there as your heavenly Father is perfect. I go, wait a minute. I believe God's perfect. I cannot even come close to that. So I give up, and I'm not even going to do this because I'm not going to be perfect he's, as he's perfect. But I love how Eugene Peterson, when he takes the concepts of perfect, 
Perfect really has the idea of being mature, being complete, being a grown-up. So when Eugene Peterson reads this statement, he adds the ideas and the concepts that come behind being perfect, and he says this. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Again, it's really powerful that we're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning because this says that he has lived generously to us. And as he has lived generously to us, we are to, in a sense, live generously towards others, which involves loving our enemies, loving those who push our buttons, and praying for them. And again, what's amazing, when we really consciously start to pray for someone who pushes our buttons over time, at least in my own life I've found this, it changes my heart. And so now praying for them Caring for them, loving them, isn't as big a stretch as it was when I started out. So as we look about this, as we look about dealing with those that drive us crazy, loving our enemies, living in opposition, the bottom line is this, opposition is my opportunity. Opposition is my opportunity. When I'm wronged, Somebody cuts me off in traffic or cuts in front of me at the grocery store. Opposition is my opportunity. When I'm criticized or somebody speaks negatively against me or maybe says something that's even untrue about me, opposition is my opportunity. When I'm taken advantage of and when I'm not thanked, when I feel I just got run over, Opposition is my opportunity. When I'm hated, not because of anything I've done, but because of who I am, opposition is my opportunity. Maybe in that opportunity we deliver a cup of cold water or a kind word in return. When our hearts and our hearts are not consumed with hate, payback, getting even. You and I are free to love. And when you and I love, we never look more like Jesus and our Heavenly Father. Not only count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, when it means that, it, that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable, you can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and knows that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. When you love people who are like you, that's ordinary. 
When you love people who are unlike you, that's extraordinary. When you love people who dislike you, that's revolutionary. And again, we talked about this last week, what turned the world upside down for the cause of Christ, Christianity, what everyone said, in those early first hundred years, it's because they loved people who disliked them, and that was revolutionary. We serve the same God, we walk with the same Jesus today, and that can be true for us, because opposition is my opportunity. Let's pray. Father, the thoughts of this morning's statements from Jesus are heavy. And some of us have experienced hurts that uh, in one way we would say are unforgivable. We, 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 in human terms, ought never to let that go, to, to, to release that, to love, to pray. It's, it's such a sacrifice. Uh, it takes such a, a will. But we look to you to help us moment by moment. We understand that we're not going to just be able to throw a switch. But Lord, we ask that you would change us from the inside out. We pray that the same revolutionary lifestyles of that early church that caused people to build hospitals, care for the sick, love, provide, build orphanages, demonstrate the love of a changed life would be ours too. May we live a contagious, revolutionary faith. And may we understand that we don't do that alone. We grow up in you. So I ask that you would help us to do that. Father, if there's someone here who has never said yes to you, as we walk through what it means to say yes as we celebrate communion, may you open their hearts, may they respond to you, and become a person that says, yes, God is my heavenly father, and I want to reflect him, I want to mimic him, I want to copy him in my day-to-day -day life. We ask that that would be the prayer of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.